This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. And produce is the toughest because produce is hot. You know, it doesn't start off cold. It melts ice super fast. So, you know, like a meat cooler, everything that you put in it is frozen solid when you put it all in. So it's going to hold that cold for a long time. But if you open a produce cooler, you know, on day three even, so much of that ice is already going to be melted because, you know, peppers and carrots and zucchinis and lettuce, they just, they don't hold the cold. They, they just, the ice disappears. And there's not really a whole lot you can do about it. And you can't put it in with that meat cooler because it'll help that meat cooler go faster than it should. So produce is always a tough one. Today's episode comes to you from Flagstaff, Arizona, and two huge river outfitting warehouses that host river trips through the Grand Canyon. In February, I visited the warehouses of Azra and Saba. Azra is home of Arizona Raft Adventures, a commercial guide company running dory and raft trips through the Grand Canyon. Saba is Saba Adventures River Outfitting Services, a company outfitting private Grand Canyon boaters with some or all of the gear and food needed for private Grand Canyon trips. This is part of a three-episode cluster with an overall theme of how to run rivers. The specific focus of this episode is about food packing for the river. The other two episodes focus on swift water rescue and how to get kids on the river. All of the episodes of this cluster are available right now, and it does not matter in which order you listen to this cluster. Both Saba and Azra are responsible for planning and packing food for two to four week river trips that can be on the river when the daily temperatures are above 100 degrees Fahrenheit and boats are running somewhere around 80 rapids of varying classes of whitewater that will jostle and move food around. For today's episode on food packing, the content is broken down into four themes. Systems of organization, cold coolers, pre-made food, and the kitchen. We will hear from both Tracy and Rachel on each theme. To start off, here are both guests introducing themselves, their respective companies, and how each company approaches food packing. We start at Azra with Tracy Bates. Azra stands for Arizona Raft Adventures. It's a company that originally in the 60s was out of sort of California and the Southwest and then in the 70s they started running trips in Grand Canyon. It's family owned, it's been passed down from generation to generation and we're one of the larger commercial rafting companies in the Grand Canyon. I think this summer 2022 we're doing 80 trips through the canyon. My name is Tracy Bates. I have a background in backpacking. I was real into backpacking, so I've always liked outdoor stuff. At one point in college, I bought a whitewater kayak and thought I was going to get into rivers and then went down on the Verde River and realized I don't want to navigate rapids and get a boat through things. That's too intimidating and I get I kind of get the deer in headlights sort of thing. So um, working here, I've done lots of river trips and I like being on river trips, but I don't want to be in charge of actually rowing the boat. Have you been through the Grand on the water? Yeah, probably I think 10 trips with the company primarily. Generally, I'm going as an assistant who's like a, a working member of the crew. And does that help you understand your job? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. What works, what doesn't work, what's a pain in the butt, what's what's easy. We did this tour of the warehouse when I got here. And can you just explain what food packing and food planning means at the scale that you're doing it at with these types of factors? There's a lot of people. There's the length. You're doing your 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 guides and your trips are doing two plus weeks on the water probably. And then you have this extreme heat and extreme jostling because there's some big white water there's plenty of flat water but there's there's the extreme white water there's the drive just getting the food from here to the put in can you just talk about what it means to plan and pack food for the nature of trips that you're doing so on this scale it's pretty much like doing a catered event every day of the trip our trips range between a total including guides 18 people and 32 people You've got three meals a day for 18 to 32 people, and you've got to cram it on a finite amount of space. So you definitely want to consider in the middle of summer what's going to last, what's not going to last. So you want heartier things. You know, you're not going to eat a lot of spinach and leafy greens. You're going to eat a lot of carrots, cabbage, apples, things like that that are going to hold up. And you also want to consider the heat and what that's going to do to your ability to keep things cold. So towards the end of the trip, you'll have a lot more canned goods just because you're going to run out of fresh stuff. And so it'll be more canned chicken versus frozen chicken. It'll be more canned fruit or vegetables instead of fresh fruit and vegetables. So you got to weigh all of that, like the hardiness of things, the temperature of things. And here is Rachel Schmidt at Saba Adventures. My name is Rachel Schmidt. My husband and I run Saba Adventures, which is a rental equipment outfitter. Rivers, you know, probably started being involved in rivers in late college and ended up in southern Utah, you know, with rivers all around, the Colorado right there, and eventually migrated to Flagstaff in the Grand Canyon with some bebopping around internationally, guided, um, and now since the body is not really wanting to be a guide anymore, body or mind, <laughs> now we uh, are still, you know, totally immersed in the river community by working with privateers, um, working with government agencies, We're still working with guides, um, but not just not being the ones who go down the river ourselves all the time. Scott, my husband, started SABA down in Central America, mostly Southern Mexico. Once I got involved, we were running rivers down there, doing birding tours, caving tours. It's amazing, a total juxtaposition to the desert up here. And when we finally sort of left that and brought the business all back up here, you know, we have Saba existed, and that was right when we got stepped into the private outfitting of Grand Canyon trips predominantly. We kept the Saba name, even though it doesn't really have anything to do with the desert rivers, but um, it sort of helps us set us apart. And, uh, and it's fun to remember all the times down in the tropics, <laughs> for sure. In the context of Saba, because you're not serving food to people, you're giving it to them. Can you explain what food packing and food planning means 
for you and your business? Yeah, food is a big part of everyone's life. I mean, there's sort of two kinds of people, I think. There's the people who live to eat and there's the people who eat to live. And uh, that definitely is a little bit of um, something that comes into menu planning. People are going on anywhere from a 12 to 30 day trip. And a lot of folks have done three, four, five day trips, six day trips, and planned their own food. But to take it on for a you know long river trip and up to 16 people, it's an event. It's, it can be epic. <laughs> and I totally applaud people who want to do that and can do it, want to do it themselves and have the time. I think time is the biggest uh, constricting factor these days. It's a, an event to plan and plan food that will last, organize it so that the people who didn't organize it into boxes and coolers can actually find and locate things and make sense of it. But back to that, you know, some people live to eat and some people eat to live. You know, that might, that's sort of a little bit of a dividing line on how someone might approach their, um, their river trip and, and the food that they're going to eat. There's the people who it's like, set us up with food, we're going to eat anything, we don't care. We just, we don't want to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Those might be the people who are just living to eat. But then there's the people who are foodies. Um, they, they have all these grand ideas of all the Dutch oven cooking and these elaborate, you know, breakfasts and dinners and desserts that they want to cook. And you don't want to squash that excitement, but you also want to bring a little reality of remember the main reason you're going on your trip is because you're going in the Grand Canyon and you do want to enjoy that and you can have fun doing all the cooking and food but I think uh, after someone's done their first trip they come back and it's like whoa that was a lot of work and I'm like remember that next time remember that next time we're packing your food let's let's make it simpler <laughs> you know you can still eat great but you don't have to every meal doesn't have to be an you know extraordinary event <laughs> <laughs> and it, and food is fun. Some people love that kind of stuff. Um, and other people, it's like, I'll eat PB&J every day, you know, and cheese crisps for dinner. <laughs> Interest is a company of river people who work to build and promote their river products. And Interest and its river people also work to promote the protection of rivers. They do this through direct financial contributions to on-the-ground, on-the-river organizations that are grinding out the work, and they also get involved in campaigns of protection through direct participation and strategic collaboration. Here is Mark Dimming from NRS. I'm Mark Deming, and I run marketing for NRS as well as public affairs, which involves all the conservation work that we do. NRS is a company that was built with a service-oriented mindset. And, and that idea of service extends beyond just serving our customers, but it includes serving our community at home here in Idaho and around the world, our planet, and the places where we paddle. So conservation is an important way for us to serve a greater purpose as a company. NRS encourages you to go directly to your local and regional River Gear shop to find the NRS products you are looking for. Do you know the Yampa River? Have you floated it? Maybe you have applied for a Yampa permit. Today, our sponsored organization is Friends of the Yampa, and I am sitting with Lindsay Marlowe, the executive director. Lindsay, will you tell us about the Yampa River and what Friends of the Yampa does? Yeah, the Yampa is a river in northwest Colorado that starts from 
the Flat Tops Wilderness Area and goes all the way down 250 miles to Dinosaur National Monument where it meets the green. Friends of the Yampa is a nonprofit organization based in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, but we advocate for the entirety of the Yampa Valley and we work to ensure the environmental and recreational integrity of the Yampa River through outreach, education, advocacy, and partnerships. We have about 180 members with over 400 donors every year, and we use those funds to help with one of our many programs to fund research trips through Dinosaur National Monument and the hands-on labor that's needed. That's just one of the many things we do. Looking at the first theme of systems of organization, I start asking Rachel how SABA uses the various spaces on boats. So let's talk about the boats. Let's talk, let's talk about getting the food into containers that make sense right. for people on these trips and how to best utilize the containers you have on these boats. Right. You, know, you got your sweet dry box and you have your hatches and your amazing coolers anymore. You know, how do you approach um, putting the food into the boat? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's like a, a good question. question. <laughs> and, you know, people with their own gear, you know, everyone sort of fine tunes what works well on their personal craft. Grand Canyon's a little different because we run these 18 foot boats mostly. Um, and we're packing for such a long time. Um, so we've sort of evolved, you know, some practices that work great here and can work in other rivers. But often, you know, the smaller boats that people have, 14 to 16 foot personal rafts, do have sweet dry boxes. Um, might use, I mean, if someone doesn't know what a 20 mil ammo can, it's, you know, product out of World War II, practically, that, you know, the can itself is heavy, it is dry, um, it serves a great purpose because it keeps things dry and uh, can turn into a trash can, which is one of the things we do down here. Um, but it's heavy, and, you know, maybe you're boating a really little river and you want to lighten up as much as possible, so maybe you uh, take some things from dories and you use plastic buckets with nice sealed lids. You know, maybe you, you, know, you, can, you can evolve your own raft to fit things better. Buckets are with lids are square buckets because they pack in better, take up all the space. There's like four and a half gallon buckets that fit really well, and you can use those. We, you know, we tend to, again, it, it varies on how long your trip is and how many people are on your trip, but a larger group of people, we try to pack dry goods by day so that you have a, a box. We use a 20 mil, you pull it out at camp. You unload it, and it has all the dry goods for dinner, breakfast, and some resupply things for your lunch the next day. And then that can can become your trash, because that's the other thing you have to think of. How do I deal with my trash? Um, Some of these smaller rivers, people are like, oh, we're just going to bag it up, because you have this beautiful dry box, and you've packed all your food in it, but you don't want to put your trash in there, you know? So you got to think about that. You know, that, that is the nice thing about these day boxes turning into trash cans. You know, you, you got to give up some space for group gear. You know, if you're on a little trip with three or four people, then, you know, maybe it's just you buy a bunch of breakfast stuff and put it in one box. You buy a bunch of lunch items and you just sort of wing it. You know, that's definitely another way to go. But that works when it's small, you know, small, pe- small group of people, maybe shorter trip. Um, when, it, when the more people you add and the longer days you have, you do actually need to be a little more accurate. 
I want to come back to the day box idea because mm -hmm. this is something I've seen for many years, and and I think I've only really seen it in the commercial settings, mm -hmm. like the, you know, the, 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 your private commercial that I don't know what you call yourself is not really private commercial, but the private prepacked food that you do mm -hmm. or the commercial settings, and I think it is a great idea. Um, so I just want to clarify it to make sure that people understand it because I didn't understand it right away. But uh -huh. You're not talking about a box for Monday or a box for day three. You're talking about a box for your time at a camp. So the dinner, the overnight, the breakfast, and the lunch, because you will not have re-rigged your boat between dinner and breakfast. Correct, yeah. So you could almost, we call, we call them day boxes, but truly it's like camp one. Yeah. And it's everything that will get you through to be prepared for lunch the next day, whether you're gonna make it at breakfast or have it you know, ready. So yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So it's, it is, it's like camp one. This is, this is for that camp. What are your thoughts on if a group, so those boxes, those 20 mil boxes are, they're just kind of the right size mm -hmm. for larger groups. But let's say it's a smaller group. What are your thoughts on how a, a smaller group might use that day box or that camp box if they don't need the entire Every space? Day. Well, I mean, good example. We deal a lot with, you know, the small trips in the canyon are only eight people. Um, and, you, and, and they have less boats generally. So we have to start shrinking things down to make it fit um and so we'll double them up we'll do we'll start with a just a day one camp one box so that you immediately have a trash can but then we'll go okay we're gonna fit day two and three in this next one and four and five so that we still we're dealing we have an idea for trash but we've been able to you know consolidate down into that and what are you doing what are you asking people to do and how are you prepping your boxes if these boxes are cycling through carrying trash and food, uh, how do you make that agreeable for a person to right. say, oh, this is carried trash, but I'm cool with it carrying my right. food? What are you doing? Um, well, we start, we, we line the box to start with, with a nice heavy duty bag. So that bag is already going to turn into the trash bag. Um, it also, we assume almost nothing is 100% waterproof, especially if a boat gets bashed around upside down, you know, anything could end up wet. So we try to prevent some of that by also having that nice thick bag already protecting what's in it. Um, and then, you know, again, trash does get pretty gross. The day one box on a 21 day trip can be pretty nasty. Um, so we power wash things, you know, we have high heat, we have soap, they get sprayed with Clorox, you know, afterwards they dry out really well, you know, so that makes it, you know, an okay thing for mm -hmm. the next round. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's never going to be a brand new box, right. but ideally it is clean, doesn't have a smell, yeah. you know, and is going to feel comfortable for that. And you've got that trash bag liner. <laughs> and you got that trash bag liner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, ideally people deal with waste nicely on the river too and, and try to, you know, you can have really tidy trash, you know, or you can have really gross trash. So, mm -hmm. and some people have gone into a little composting um, and right. that can, you know, that can also help, yeah. you know, alleviate some of the yucky part of trash. One of my favorite places to store things on my boat is in the hatch. Whether that is a small propane bottle or a bocce set or perishable goods, Tracy explains how Azra uses the hatch. In that hatch, so this is, I, I wanna, I'm going to explain the hatch again just for the listeners. So this is that, that uh, drop bag that's under the deck. Yes. Maybe your table's going over it and you have a hatch cover 
But the idea is that it's out of the sun. You probably are laying some Pacos, and it just has a lot of kind of insulation from the above heat, um, and it has that cooling effect of the water. This is definitely useful in the summer in the desert, but it can also be useful anywhere in Idaho, any in any real river setting where you just you need your stuff to not get real hot. Sometimes guides will take a milk crate and put hardier stuff like apples, oranges, cantaloupes, onions, and put that down in that hatch too. You can also put that kind of hardier stuff, carrots, cabbages, in a dry bag and toss it down in that hatch. But is there any concern? I mean, I, I know that when I first started doing that, I was concerned just about the river water on the food. Do you all talk about that at all? Definitely. Um, everything we bring up that's that's something perishable, ready to eat like that, gets washed. So it comes up into camp. Tomatoes, lettuce, anything like that gets washed with potable water before it gets chopped up and served. So, so, so water that you brought from the city. Or, or water that filter. we're pumping and filtering okay. down there. And when you say washed, like rinsed? Like we just fill up a big bowl and rinse it off mm-hmm. and make sure it's nice and clean, and mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, those hatches are also generally used for keeping your drinks because of that coolness factor. So often one boat, that hatch is the drink hatch. So when you get into camp and everybody wants to grab a couple beers, that hatch will get opened up and everybody's drinks are down in there in nice damp burlap sacks to keep them cool. Mm-hmm. So using it like, so like burlap is a good kind of cooling factor, insulating factor down there as well. Yeah. And it also contains stuff. So it's not just flying around down there. Right. So it's burlap sack kind of keeps things all in place. Mm-hmm. So they're not just loose and breaking open and keeps everything sort of buffered from the elements. Do you have any distinct thoughts around the idea of making a boat, a food boat or in a kitchen boat and this and that? You know, the, I think the biggest thing is, um, I'm definitely a fan of the poop boat, not having any like open milk crates of hearty produce. I, I, I sort of like the idea of, of a poop boat. Some people like to share that around, but I sort of like a poop boat and, and the poop boat, I generally put early trip cooler, early trip food boxes on so that by the time it starts filling up with poop, you know, there's really not much food dealing there. That's, that's probably my biggest thing. If you are going to stop for lunch every day, it's nice to have a lunch boat that has, you know, the apples and oranges and the lunch cooler and the table you're going to use and the lunch box. That's, so it's all on one boat. That's, that can be sort of handy. NRS is engaging in river protection through their LEAD program. LEAD is Leaders in Environment, Advocacy, and Diversity. Here is Priscilla Macy from NRS to say more about LEAD member Brooke Hess. I'm Priscilla Macy, and I'm a wholesale manager at NRS, primarily serving the Western states. Brooke Hess is putting together a project that will involve three women paddling from source to sea on the Salmon, Snake, and Columbia Rivers. 
The purpose of the trip is to highlight the 600 mile journey of endangered salmon and steelhead. It's aiming to also further promote removing the lower four on the Snake River. And as populations of anadromous fish decline, it only becomes more and more important to paddlers and to us at NRS. We have helped outfit and fund the start of this project in the journey, and we'll also be helping support the project by selling merchandise that is branded with the Grand Salmon. In addition to NRS.com, you can find NRS gear at many of your local and regional river gear shops. NRS encourages you to support your local river gear supplier. Friends of the Yampa in northern Colorado knows the Yampa River well, in the big picture of the Colorado River system, the Yampa is the last river without a major dam project. Lindsay Marlowe is the executive director of Friends of the Yampa, and she explains more about this impact on the greater river system. The Yampa is wild. It has a natural hydrograph. There are some small reservoirs in the upper portions of the river, but the overwhelming majority of the snowpack melts and goes into the Yampa below these reservoirs. And because of that, it helps influence the rest of the Colorado River system with natural high peaks and low lows. So the Yampa River is a beautiful, amazing river with rocky, fast-moving water in the high reaches and slow, beautiful floats down in the lower reaches through Dinosaur National Monument. We are working to grow our membership base, and I invite each one of you to donate to Friends of the Yampa, become a member, Help us make an impact. I'm, I'm curious about how you all pack your coolers. I guess the first question is, you have a meat cooler, a veggie cooler. How else do you break out your cooler? If you, can, if you have enough cooler space that you can do a lower half cooler that you're not going to get into, that's full of already frozen stuff and ice, and you're just going to leave that cooler alone for five, seven, eight days, that's really nice. And when you say lower half, your language is referring to the second half of the Grand Canyon. I'm just referring to lower half, lo lower, lower portion of your trip. If you have space for that, that's great. Again, anything you can freeze in that cooler is great. If you don't have big coolers and you're dealing with a bunch of little coolers, just fill them as full as you can with anything frozen. And if you can bury them somewhere out of the sun, that's great. Let's talk about um, how you build the ice in your cooler. You showed me earlier you have these you have some really great ice that's manufactured here yes. in, in the area and that you are you all buy that and that's pure water ice, right. not aerated. Can you just talk real quick about the difference in ice? It's, it's not always very easy to find water ice versus aerated ice. Like if you go to the grocery store and you get block ice, it's kind of a chunky block that's really cloudy looking. And what they do is they make like a slurry of slushy and they freeze it. And so it's got a lot of air in there and it's going to melt quicker. You could even, you know, sort of figure out a way to make your own ice at home out of water if you have access to like a chest freezer and maybe some sort of form you can freeze ice in and make your own ice that's solid water, that's really a, a bonus. Anything that's cubed or 
got a lot of air in it, is just going to melt faster. Cubed, mean, you mean like drink ice? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Just ice cubes. By, bagged yeah. ice cubes. Um, that stuff's just going to melt faster. So any solid water block ice you can find or produce yourself is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Now, I have the luxury of having a deep freezer that I can take an ice chest, a big, huge, you know, 200 quart ice chest, put blocked ice in there, that solid, nice water blocked ice in there, and then take a hose and fill up the space in between the blocked ice with water and roll that in there and freeze it overnight. That's really going to go a long way. Okay, let's talk through that for real quick. So you're saying bring bring your your big cooler into a deep freeze. You, you Did you tell me your, your deep freeze is at 15 below zero? So 15 below zero is a good temp because you really do need to go cold fast. Put the water on top of around all the ice chunks you have. And how long are you doing that for? At, at that 15 below, we can do it overnight. Um, What's overnight? Six hours? Ten hours? Ten hours. Okay. If you don't have that, if say you, you have access, say you know somebody who has a freezer that's at 20 degrees, you can do it in stages. You can You can put all the block ice in there. Put maybe two inches of water in there, leave it overnight. It'll probably freeze. If not, it'll be close to frozen. Put two more inches of water in there, leave that again overnight. Like you can do it over the course of a couple days and you'll get a nice solid water ice in the bottom of your cooler. Why not just pour six inches of water in at once? It just takes too long and it, it the way it freezes, it kind of gets lumpy and misshapen that's what having the block ice in there kind of keeps it in a specific shape and the ice will freeze up instead of out okay so we've got cold coolers we've got good ice we're adding extra ice if we can and then when you put your food in there are you putting your food right on the ice or do you all put a barrier between the ice and the food we put a barrier between we get like a plexiglass or what we've got now is um, a food grade plastic. It's like a cutting board, basically. You can even use um, old cutting boards. We've done that before. And you lay that on top of the ice. And then as your ice is melting, your food's kind of riding on top of the icy part and not necessarily getting down into the water. If you don't have access to cutting boards or plastic membrane like that, you can use cardboard. Especially if you can find the waxy cardboard, like um, mm-hmm. sometimes at the grocery store, right. Food you box. can go to the produce department and be like, hey, do you have any of this waxy cardboard? And they'll usually have boxes they haven't broken down yet. And, oh, yeah, you want these? And then your food that you put, so, you, so we've got the good ice, we've got, we've got a cold cooler good ice, a barrier between the ice and the food. Are you putting the food directly on that barrier or do you put it in... Like uh, some sort of big plastic containers. You put it directly in. You do. Yeah. You put the like you'll put vegetables right on that barrier. We'll put lettuce and cucumbers and everything right in on that barrier. Uh huh. And that's under the premise that the cooler is all veggies, and there's another cooler on a different boat or a different place that's got the meats. Right. So if you did have to mingle yes. your veggies and your meats, you might do a like a like I've done uh, milk jugs or I've cut them out before and just had like the lower half. You can even use like a really nice big Tupperware. How do you pack veggies? I've seen all kinds of tricks to pack lettuce so that it doesn't get 
like, you know, whatever, like it gets all slimy and slimy is the word. Right. (laughs) A good trick is to wrap it in a couple pieces of paper towels. And then if you want it in separate bags, you know, paper lunch bags. One good thing about that is if you've got one head of lettuce that's really slimy, it's not in there rubbing around, getting everything off gassing and getting everything else gross. And you definitely, your produce, you want to be checking that stuff and use things that are ripening fastest first. Because as it's ripening, it's also causing everything else to ripen. You're saying that once one thing starts to go, it's sending gases into the rest of the cooler that says to all the neighbor vegetable, tomatoes, uh, fruits. Go yeah. ahead and start ripening. Yeah, let's let's all let's all go off. <laughs> okay. So you want to just kind of use that stuff first, get it out of there. Another useful tip when you're packing your coolers is pack it backwards. So you don't want something you're going to use on day three in the bottom of that cooler. You want something you're going to use on day ten in the bottom of that cooler. So pack your cooler in order. So the Italian sausage for spaghetti night on day ten. You know, it's not sitting on top in your way all the time. You want it buried. So so definitely pack your cooler in order of how you're going to use it. I think anything in there that's not frozen is taking away from it staying cold. So do you, like, are you saying it's best then to, so you, you, you have your, you get your cooler cold, you put the ice in, you get the, the, you add extra water, make more ice if you can. And if you can't, you can't. Then... Everything that goes in that can be frozen, you should freeze like all your juices. Yeah. Um, just make them solid ice and make your... In the middle of summer, for sure. In the middle of the summer, especially. Right. Depends on where you're going. I right. Mean, depends on doing, where you're going and when you're going. Yeah. If you're doing yeah. a fall trip, you might not melt out fast enough. Right. Is there anything that should not be frozen? Like, I know my, my personal experience is that, like, um, it seems like dairy doesn't like to be frozen. No. Dairy, I mean, you can sort of freeze cheese because you're... Nine times out of ten, you're going to crumble it mm-hmm. and melt it. So cheese, you can freeze, okay. Eggs do not like being frozen. I've seen that happen by accident. Even eggs in those cartons? Eggs in the cartons, you can freeze totally. Oh, you they're, can? So yeah. if, they're, if they're shelled? Yes. Uh, but you can usually find whole egg product in a milk carton. And if you're having scrambled eggs or breakfast burritos, it's so easy just to pour that in and cook it. Right. And you can freeze that solid. It does fine. You just and, shake it up when you're ready to use it and you can right you can kind of cook frozen eggs yeah i heard you say in there like in a cooler fill it less air is better yeah air is harder to cool all these things so what do you what's what's your y'all's kind of practice around putting things back in coolers like maybe half and half has got to go back in but leftover rice leftover beans leftover chicken that's been cooked are you putting it back in the cooler? Our practice is no. We, Tell me why. We, um, it's kind of a county health thing. They don't want us reserving anything. County health department. Yes. Yeah. And also like backcountry health code type thing. You just can't cool it down quick enough. You can't go from whatever room temperature to that magical 40 degrees fast enough. So we don't really do, we don't really reserve anything. So um, for us, it's just a no. So in a restaurant, when they're taking food, whatever, for whatever reason, they might be like prepping it and putting it in the cooler for later use. Yes. Those fridges, those refrigerators can 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 get it down fast, but a cooler can't. No, we just can't do it. And the other thing that will happen with the cooler is that you're burning off the cold. 
you're putting oh. even if it's room temperature it's still it's taking away the the coldness and degrading the the ice even further mm-hmm. so no we just don't yeah okay which and is kind of a bummer i mean sometimes we end up throwing out a lot of food yeah and it it's a bummer but it, it's kind of just part of the game so let's talk about how to make ice last <laughs> and the cooler care do you pee the cooler or do you not pee the cooler Yep, that's, I, I'm on the side of peeing the cooler. You are? Yep. And I don't know which is really better, but that's been my theory. Partly because it's like, think of your fridge, and if you have water sloshing around in your fridge and everything starts, you, you end up with soup down in there, you know, of all the things swimming in this water. That's sort of gross. Unless you are really on top of things... In that sense, it's really hard to keep your cooler tidy. I, I definitely think draining a cooler is better. How often? Um, I mean, I would say I, I would check my cooler at least every other day. Ours here, we actually drill little holes in the drain plug so it will sort of self-drip as long as nothing oh. obstructs the hole. Um, and just because we found, you know, we are dealing with a bunch of people who cooler care might not even be on their radar. Right. And so at least we have maybe a chance that they don't end up with, you know, yucky compost soup in their cooler. Right. So so you're you you are peeing the coolers. Let's talk about other cooler care. You know, like when when is the best time to get in the cooler? When's the best time to not? And when it is time to get in the cooler, do you do anything to prepare yourself to get in the cooler? Having a plan which again, it's hard when, when you weren't the one who packed it, you know, we're dealing with that. It takes two or three to four days to even figure out what's on your boat sometimes. Sometimes people don't know what's in their back hatch until day 12. <laughs> when you say a plan, you mean like know what you want to get out. Know what you want to get out. Like yeah. have your shopping list, you know. Right. Our menu is set up, you know, to be used sort of as a shopping list. So you have that with you like, okay, this is what I need. And have someone help you. One person holds the lid open, not all the way. And the other person dives in and pulls things out. Kind of playing peekaboo with the cooler. A little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, <laughs> in, in December, that doesn't really matter. People are coming off of 24-day trips with huge blocks of ice left. Right, right. But yeah, in the middle of the summer, is trying to be plan um, what you're getting out, um, which, you know, isn't always easy, but you, you try. You, do, you gotta, just got to do your best. Do you have any mm-hmm. other clever tricks on putting food into coolers and preserving ice? Um, definitely the foam on the top layer is nice. Um, I like using a bunch of different size cardboard boxes to help organize things. Um, you know, it's produce or, you know, all my hors d'oeuvre cheeses in one place and my breakfast stuff in another. Um, but cardboard because it just, it, it will eventually break down, but it can flatten down and um, not really take up space. I could burn it in the fire if I want it later. Um, mm. But cardboard boxes, you know, they're, they're disposable, but they help initially with the organization. Right. And it's easier, too. You pack it at home and you bring it out. It's like just... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A little less handling. But yeah, back to your thing. I mean, protecting, you know, in the heat of the summer, your boats are sitting out in the sun while you're not on the river, you know, putting umbrellas over, putting Paco pads over. Um, old school used to be wet burlap. 20 years ago, the coolers definitely didn't hold 
ice like they do today. Yeah. So you're sending your crew out with just a cooler cover. Cooler cover and that foam inside the cooler. And then, yeah, recommending, you know, put a Paco pad over it if it's going to sit in the sun while you're out hiking all day. Or put an umbrella, strap an umbrella down over the top. Yeah. Every little bit helps. Do you have any other kind of pre like pre-cooked meals that people can that you think are easy that people can do at home sure. a little more complex flavors all these things going on they do it at home freeze it and then bring it on the river and just warm it do you so what's, what's some other ideas you have so we have a, a pre-cooked carnita meat they warm that up they make a coleslaw you know maybe the guests are eating some chips and salsa it's a pretty fast meal we try to do that on big days maybe either a big water day or maybe the day they went to Deer Creek and hiked all day, or an exchange day where you've got people coming in on the trip and they're tired and hot, and the guides are explaining to them how camp is laid out and how the groover works. And so we try to have lots of meals sprinkled in that are easy so the guides can be doing other things with the guests other than just like in the kitchen slaving away. Curries work really well for that. You know, anything that you cook at home that tastes better after it's been in the fridge for a couple days <laughs> works perfectly for this. So pasole or, you know, curries work really well. And then you just cook up some rice and you have, you know, your already made stuff and you've got rice and curry and you're good to go. Brisket is a really good one because you can make that and freeze it and then just warm it up. So any kind of meat, like pulled pork, things like that. And when I say we use carnitas, you can buy that stuff at Sam's Club. You can buy the pre, pre-pulled pre chicken, Sam's Club or Costco. Even at the grocery store, you can find that kind of stuff. We use, for BLT lunches, we use a pre-cooked bacon. Super handy. If you crisp it up in the morning in camp and then pull it out at lunchtime, you're it's pretty rock star looking meal and it's tasty and yummy and salty. We work with Artisan's Kitchen here in Flagstaff and Sean makes pre-cooked boil bag entrees and people who use those they cost a little more but absolutely love them for how good they are and how easy they are. For ease that is that is probably the biggest feedback I get you know, the people really enjoy that ease. And there's folks who do that themselves, pre-cook lasagnas and vacuum seal them up. And I mean, I definitely have been on trips where, you know, that person's night of cooking, that's what they brought along for everybody. Um, So you you don't have to have a vendor who does that for you. You can do it yourself. What are some suggestions you have for for the private boater to simplify the kitchen, yet have everything you need? A lot of the stuff you might be taking, a griddle or a Dutch oven or just a pot, you can use that thing for a lot of different purposes. So I know people who use the Dutch oven not just for baking per se, that you're going to use with charcoal for making something like lasagna or cake. I know people that make rice in the Dutch oven. They make all their bacon in the Dutch oven. So, you know, pick a couple of key things that you're going to use for lots of different things. So maybe use a Dutch oven, but don't bring an extra skillet that's right. cast iron. Right. Yeah. Don't pigeonhole the equipment 
for one use. You know, think, oh, well, I could easily use that for something else. So that you don't have a ton of equipment that's replicating something you already have. You can get pretty good camping quality food grade cookware at a big box store because they're also catering to a restaurant clientele. You can pick that stuff up pretty reasonable. You know, any restaurant supply place. In, in Phoenix, there's some big restaurant supply places that you can pick that stuff up used from restaurants that have closed down. So let's talk about the other side of the kitchen. You know, I think, I think these Grand Canyon trips have, they are just some of the greatest kitchens. Right. I've been on these trips with the commercial outfits and the privates, and you just get to bring everything. The boats are big. Everything's designed to just fit that. I mean, you, ha- you have to take enough food for two, two and a half, three weeks, so your boats are going to be big. But, you know, a, a trend I am seeing is a move towards a smaller boat. Uh, there's the pack raft style. Mm-hmm. There's the, the long-distance kayakers. Uh, there's smaller rafts, and I think there is this... I don't think everyone's doing it, but there's a there's a certain trend towards smaller. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on like ways to super simplify a kitchen. Really, just look at the backpacking model. There's so much great stuff coming out right now as far as like the jet boil stove attached to the cooking pot, if you will. There's some really cool stuff, and I would just look more towards backpacking equipment. It's perfectly fine if you're doing a small trip with like yourself or two or three people. You can totally get away with just using backpacking stuff and streamlining towards that. A perfect river-sized meal thank you goes out to all of today's guests, Tracy Bates and Rachel Schmidt, and to Azra and Seba for letting us cruise around their sweet warehouses There are links to both Azra and Seba in today's episode notes in your podcast player. Today's sponsors are NRS and Friends of the Yampa. You can find links to both of these organizations also in the episode notes. There are two more episodes in this cluster, one on swift water rescue and another on getting kids on the river. Both are available now in your podcast player and on our website. We have a single episode coming soon and then our second cluster of the year covering salmon restoration in the Snake River Basin and the engaged push to remove the four lower dams on the Snake River will publish in the next couple of months. You can be in touch anytime on social media and email hello at theriverradius.com. On Instagram, we will be launching our second giveaway in the next few weeks. We will post details soon. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. There's sort of two kinds of people, I think. There's the people who live to eat, and there's the people who eat to live. You know, anything that you cook at home that tastes better after it's been in the fridge for a couple days works perfectly for this. It's all good. I mean, I, I love food. Grill nights, I love grill nights. Even in the heat of the summer, it's like you set up that grill down by the river, you don't have to do anything else except, you know, have a beer in your hand <laughs> and watch the grill and jump in the water if it gets too hot. <laughs> They're easy.